3. The Psychology of the Gifted Speaker Ministry Because of this, we need to understand the psychology of this kind of gifted speaker ministry. Very often, indeed usually, when the gifted speaker comes along, the congregation is whipped up into a state of emotional excitement by the rhetoric. The technique may make use of humour, involve grave seriousness or inspiring language. But a state of emotional excitement of some kind is created. In such a state, human beings are much more easily manipulated by suggestion. This is a fact of human psychology that has been investigated, explored and used in various contexts to induce certain types of behaviour. 1. The Technique of the Gifted Speaker Ministry There is a definite technique to this. It can be learned, and this technique has been used very successfully by revivalists for a long time, ostensibly for good, but often also for bad. The state of emotional excitement created by frightening people into converting to Christianity by dangling them over hell, for example, is well attested. Jonathan Edwards has often been accused of this because of his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. In such a state of emotional excitement, possibly even emotional exhaustion, people are susceptible to all kinds of influences and ideas that they would not otherwise have been susceptible to. This technique produces a general state of suggestibility in which people are easily reprogrammed to accept ideas, beliefs and behaviour that go against their previous better judgement. This is probably why there was so much fornication following the Great Awakenings. Even in modern churches where such emotional excitement is created, unscrupulous leaders and gifted speakers can use this as an opportunity to prey on emotionally confused people. In such a state, people can be influenced for bad as well as for good. The conditions of such emotional excitement is non-specific. Just because this emotional condition has been created by a gifted speaker in a church gathering does not mean that those subject to it are open only to suggestions that are consistent with Christian teaching and morals. They are not. They are open to all sorts of suggestions, and charlatans use these suggestions to manipulate people for their own ends. They may preach the gospel, but still use such a state of emotional excitement to manipulate people into doing their bidding, whether that is putting more money into the collection plate than they can afford, agreeing to become involved in immoral sexual behaviour, or putting themselves completely under the control of the gifted leader. And all such things happen too often, too often for comfort. Nevertheless, the point is that even where good behaviour is implanted in the convert, this is a psychological technique, not the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in the convert's life, though, of course, it will be attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit by the gifted speaker, the convert and the congregation. But the Holy Spirit does not work in this way. The Bible tells us that genuine conversion is the result of the renewing of the mind through the application of God's word by the Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 2, Ephesians 4, 21 to 23, compare with 2 Timothy 1, 17. Now, Add to this revivalist technique, repeated drumming patterns, 
continuous loud and monotonous music, and emotional abandon. All these things are very common elements in charismatic worship. Such things are very effective in creating this state of emotional excitement. Subject the congregation to this for an hour before the gifted speaker comes on and people are then already in a state of emotional excitement, possibly even emotional exhaustion, when the gifted speaker starts preaching. In such a state of emotionally heightened suggestibility, people are much more easily manipulated by charismatic leaders and gifted speakers, whom they already idolise as great men of God, apostles or prophets. Reason does not count for much in this state of mind. It is abandoned, possibly even reversed. Indeed, such techniques are used in brainwashing programmes and as part of interrogations aimed at inducing false confessions precisely because this is a known effect. This kind of technique was very useful in show trials in communist countries. The same technique was used. It was developed and adopted to different ends, but it was the same technique. But the question we must ask is this. Is this what the Bible teaches? Is this what God expects of us and requires of us? Emphatically not. The Bible teaches that our worship should be reasonable worship, that it should involve all our faculties, and therefore that our minds should be fully working and engaged in worship. Without this, our worship falls short of what God requires of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Ephesians 4, 21 to 23, compare with 2 Timothy 1, 17. The Holy Spirit works through the renewing of the mind, not through the creation of an emotionally heightened state of suggestibility, which is a non-specific state of mind that opens people up to manipulation by anyone who is in a position to exploit it. 2. The Psychology of the Doting Congregation There is another important aspect to this that needs to be considered now. When someone is in this heightened state of emotional suggestibility, something often happens that psychiatrists call transference. That is, the person becomes emotionally dependent on the one guiding him, whether this is the psychiatrist, the preacher, or even his confessor. I refer again to Robert Murray McShane and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones as examples of this in church life. The preacher or gifted speaker becomes more important than the message. He himself becomes the focal point, not the content of the message itself. As a result, when the preacher or gifted leader leaves for better pastures, the church often declines and falls apart, or becomes a mere shadow of its former glory. Why? Because the focus was on the preacher or charismatic leader, not on God's word. The congregation becomes dependent upon the gifted leader because a sufficient enough number of people in the church experience transference while he is guiding the church. When he leaves or dies, the church declines. Who gets the glory? God or men? If we are honest with ourselves, we know it is usually men. We make idols of these gifted speakers. The last time I visited the Evangelical Library in London, there was even a little shrine in the corner of the main reading room dedicated to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and this was some time after his death. I am not saying that God does not use these men. He does, 
but he does so in spite of their rhetoric and oratory and gifts, not because of them. As already noted, the gifts we are talking about here are not the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the natural abilities of men who are great orators and rhetoricians, men who gain a following by means of their natural charisma. All those things that the Apostle Paul did not have, and for lack of which he was so severely criticised by the Corinthians. Do you find this difficult to accept? Well, what about unction? Spiritual unction is one of the most abused terms relating to preaching that there is. It is used, they say, it is used as a substitute word for rhetoric by Christians who know that they should not idolise rhetoric and oratory in the pulpit. No, their heroes do not go in for rhetoric and oratory. They are far too spiritual for that, you see. What they have is unction, and, well, as everyone knows, this is a divine gift. Unction is just another term for rhetoric and oratory, cleverness used by delicate souls who are too pious to admit the truth about their idolatry of the men who use these techniques. The term unction can be usefully dispensed with. It need never be used. It has been the cause of much mischief. It is the exegesis and application of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit uses to bring men to faith in Christ, regardless of the rhetorical techniques employed or not employed by the preacher. It was the exegesis and application of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit used in the preaching of men like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and Robert Murray McShane, not the quality of their rhetoric or unction, which only hinders the message. And it was the exegesis and application of the Word of God that the Holy Spirit used in Paul's preaching, who lacked the charisma and rhetorical qualities considered so essential for great preaching by so much of the modern church. The power of God is in the content of the message, not the style of the preacher. Style gets in the way. It does not help. It hinders people from coming to God by drawing them to the speaker instead. This produces false conversions and transference, in which the preacher or gifted leader becomes the focus of attention, the person around whom the convert's new life revolves, instead of around Christ and his word. This is the polar opposite of what Paul wanted. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5 I repeat and emphasize that the results of the kind of gifted speaker ministry that is so idolized today, in which style is prioritized over content, are detrimental to the work of the gospel, even where the speaker is orthodox in speaking the truth. It is not the style that the Holy Spirit uses, but rather the content, the word of God, to bring men to conviction, faith and repentance if you are obsessed by this idolatry of style, 
you need to repent of it, abandon it. It is contrary to God's explicit word as set forth by Paul in this passage of scripture. To dote on these things is sinful. What good comes of it? It is gifted speakers with charismatic personalities who lead gullible congregations astray into false teachings, heresy, stupidity and the idolizing of mere men, not the plain and straightforward teaching of God's word, which is what God requires of those who preach the gospel. One need only look at the modern revival meetings and the latest charismatic circus to see the consequences of such idolatry of the flesh.